Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Hey everyone, this is Bells sitting on my back porch in Minneapolis. Our guest today is Chris Richards, an 18-year-old center back from Alabama who signed a homegrown deal with FC Dallas in the spring and is now on loan at Bayern Munich until December. At Bayern, he thought he would spend all his time with the U19s, good preparation for the 2019 MLS season, but he's gotten first-team minutes next to Javi Martinez and David Alaba in Bayern Munich's preseason. The chairman of Bayern mentioned him as a potential first-team depth option, and as you'll hear, Richards is a confident man. Now, anybody who listens to Scuffed knows we're not known for our sound engineering. You will have to really bear with us for parts of this interview. The transatlantic connection was spotty. But Richards gets his points across. The audio improves a lot as we go, and I will put brief, time-stamped transcriptions of the worst spots in the show notes. So check those out. Here's the interview. Chris, man, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being here. Let's talk about what's going on right now. It's a big time for you. You were playing for the FC Dallas U19s in the Academy playoffs in June. One month later, you're playing preseason matches with Aryan Robin, David Alaba, and Frank Ribery. That's totally insane. Walk us, oh, yeah. walk us through this. Walk us through this past couple months. How did this happen? Yeah, so um, toward the end of our playoffs in San Diego, I called the technical director, and uh, he told me that Bayern wanted me to come on loan until December, and I just thought, like, there's no way it's true. And then I, I got all my flight information, and it was official. So I took the next flight to Munich about a week later from our last game at, uh, in San Diego. And since I came here, I was immediately thrown into first team training, and uh just one day, one of the administrators came up to me and she told me I was going on the first season, on the first team preseason tour to the U.S. And I, I was just so ecstatic and I was so happy and elated that I, I wasn't getting this chance. Did you know that you were going to be training with the first team when you when you found out you were going to go on loan? Oh, no. I just thought they told me I was playing with the United Nations, so that's all I thought I was going to, uh, to do. I'm just be with the United Nations the whole uh, the whole semester thing. It's only team, and I was, I was so surprised. Yeah, awesome. So now you're train. Are you training with the with the first team still, or you're kind of splitting your time between the U19s and the first team? So now I'm back with the U19s. We have our first uh, our first season game this weekend, so we're all getting ready for that. Yeah, talk talk about the what are the differences between like the academy set up at Bayern and say the academy set up in Dallas. Yeah. So I'm Dallas does it better than I think anyone in the U S I mean, yeah, they cut the players really nicely. And of course we have a great academy program on the field and off the field. But the setup here is completely different. Uh, I'm, I'm staying in a huge clubhouse where they have a cafeteria, they have administrators watching over us. They have, really anything we could ever need here in the clubhouse. And um, I know the studios are in the backyard of the clubhouse, and it's just it's a huge difference. 
and uh, you can tell they're setting them up for success and for the next level. Yeah, so it's like basically like a college dorm, huh? Exactly. Oh man, so cool. Um, talk about how talk about how your game is evolving right now, if you would. There must be a, yeah. a lot to soak in. Oh yeah, it has been. Um, so my biggest thing first coming over here was the speed of play. I mean, it's going to be a few notches up every level you go up. And my first few days with the first team, I was kind of caught out on that. And after about a week and a half, two weeks of the first team, I really saw my game improve in that aspect. Hmm. Um, so I, that's one thing that I've really focused on getting better at. And I can tell just from the month I've been here that that part of my game has grown a lot. Um, and also the communication part, even though I don't speak the greatest of German, I know a few, a few phrases on the field. And uh, it's been good to to be able to use my voice and just play it around. And of course, that's what any any good co- any coach, especially first-team coach, likes to see from a player, no matter how long. So do you be- So basically all the communication on the field is in German? Um, there's two English speakers here, but... Uh, most of the time, the coaches like us speaking in German, so that's one thing I've had to brush up on. Brush up on? Did you like? Did you learn German at in Hoover, Alabama? No, no. But um, now my dad he uh, he would take trips to to Stuttgart uh, for a Mercedes, and he would uh-huh. learn a little bit, and he tried to give me a few words to say, but I never took it seriously because I never thought I was going to make it over here. And then, or I didn't think it was going to happen so fast. And then now that it's here. Those things I wish I'd taken more seriously. Oh yeah, you got you got time to break open that German German English dictionary, I guess. Um, Hell yeah. So I know I know Boateng is who you model your game after. You've said that uh, in other places, but you're also going to spend time this fall training with Mats Hummels. So two of the well, I guess it's not clear you're going to spend time training with Boateng because he may leave on loan or leave the club but anyway two of the best center backs in the world both comfortable with the ball at their feet both able and willing to play passes deep into the opponent's half how much interaction are you getting with them and how much are they helping you get better i mean i know i, I know now that you're training with the u19s but maybe talk a little bit about that yeah so um uh just watching watching how they train watching how they play uh, i was at the preseason friendly against Manchester United and just watching how they move on and off the ball and some of the passes and their vision on the field. It's been an amazing thing to see. And then in trainings, most of the time when I was training, I was with Javi Martinez and David Alaba as center back. And they were, I mean, they were so open to helping me with everything. Um, that was, that was really great for me the first few weeks I was here. It's just, it, they're world-class players, of course. And I, it's, it's really refreshing, and it's uh, it's also amazing that they're going to have a young guy like me who's making a into the first team. You know, it's been really good for me. Yeah. Can you mention? I mean, can you point out a couple specific things you've learned from from Alaba and Martinez, or watching Hummels and Boateng? So one big that big thing that the coaches here like is when Sinebrek is on the ball to take as fast as you can and then try to release the ball or keep going and throw it down the field. In the academy back home, it's not really something that you're taught. And when I got here, I ended up 
everyone's doing youth all the way up to the first team. And so that was one thing that they really pushed for me to get more comfortable with doing. What about from facing uh, the caliber of attacker that you've been up against in these preseason games? Like anything you've picked up about things that they're doing that you have to anticipate that maybe you didn't see at the academy oh, yeah. level in Dallas? Oh, yeah. So all strikers that I've played against since I've been here have been fast. They've been super strong. I mean, they're, they know how to move off the ball really well, and that's something you don't really see in the academy back home. And uh, it's been it's been a tough adjustment, but uh, I've gotten a lot better at marking number nines, whether uh, whether I'm the winger has the ball or whether it's a one on one decision. But uh, it's been a it's been a, a big step in my uh, in my career so far, like uh, going up against players like that. But mm-hmm. it's been really good for me, uh, especially with the preseason tour. Yeah, you look like you handle it just fine in the games that I watched, the ones over here in the states, and in that spirit. You touched on this in an interview with Brian Shreda, which I will put a link to in the show notes because it's full of good quotes from you. But there's got to be a sense of awe when you're up against some of these guys. Is there also a sense of, hey, I can take this guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, of course, um, you grew up watching these guys play at the highest level and dreaming one day to be in the same field as them, even play with them, and then now have this opportunity. And I'm actually, I think, doing pretty well holding my own against these world-class guys that I've always grown so so um, adamant to watch. And it's a, it's, a, it's a big sense of pride knowing that I'm doing so well against these guys. That, uh, I mean, you see they're making fools of world-class players all the time. And so I know I'm not a world-class player yet, but I think it's a good step on my way. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit about your background. You grew up near Birmingham, Alabama, a town called Hoover, not known as a soccer hotbed. How'd you get into the game? And tell us as much as you can about the sort of soccer environment there. Oh, yes. Uh, Hoover, Alabama is football city. I mean, we've had, my high school has had multiple national championships. They've Growing up, uh, growing up, they've won I'm, as many state championships as I can count. Every year I was, uh, every year I lived in Hoover, they won a state championship. And so, hmm. growing up, there was really no soccer going on. I mean, I was, I was uh, three, four years old when my dad first signed me up, and I was playing just rec soccer all the way up until maybe ten. And then, I mean, a few of the competitive coaches around around Birmingham started seeing me play and. I thought I had a good level, so they tried to bring it to a competitive team, and that's what really started the love for the game for me, being able to play teams from out of state, being able to travel. That was one big thing that I really enjoyed to do. Hmm. And uh, then getting older and older, my dad, he always pushed me to play basketball and soccer because you know things I would do on the basketball court helped me on the soccer field, and things I did on the soccer field helped me on the basketball court. Mm-hmm. And uh my dad, he, he would always push me so much harder in basketball because that's what he always played until pretty much until I was born. And so, I don't know, him, him pushing me to play basketball so hard kind of made me lose love for that game and made me fall in love more with soccer because he couldn't really tell me what to do since he had never even heard of <laughs> soccer when he was uh, growing up. So that was one thing that really pushed my interest in uh, uh, going to Argentina with my ODP team in 2016 really made me fall in love with the game. I mean, just the passion and 
the pride that they have in, in their uh, soccer teams down there really made me fall in love with the game. And uh, I'm so happy I chose to decide just to play soccer. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit. What do you take from basketball that you apply to soccer? Um, just being – I was a point guard, so, of course, you had to be the floor general. I mean, you had to know the plays. You had to – I mean, you had to know how to you – know, uh, be able to communicate on the field, on the court, and uh, uh, you also just had to always be thinking one play ahead. I mean, whether you're on the ball or whether you're or in, uh, you're playing defense, you always have to be ready for the next play. And uh, of course, the lateral the lateral shifting uh, that really helped my game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one thing that really helped me. And uh, just just becoming a leader on the field and on the court really led to me becoming a leader on the field. Yeah. I was watching you in one of those friendlies, I forget which one, uh, with your you know, with your eye on like the the guy your eye on the ball, one eye on the ball, one guy to your right. And it did remind me of like I played a lot of basketball growing up, of that, you know, that whole thing where you're supposed to like you're supposed to have on be on a straight line from the hoop to the, oh, yeah. the guy you're defending. <laughs> and like with with your eye on the ball, it was kind of the same same concept. Oh yeah. Um Enough about my basketball career, though. Uh, so, so y- you're you're a young guy. You've got your finger on the pulse of the next generation. What's the future of soccer in a place like Birmingham, in the southeast in general? Uh, I see it growing ton. I mean, whether it's me coming from Birmingham, Alabama, Chandler Hoffman, Brandon Tervania, uh, some guys making big names for and you know, they're doing everything right with you know how many fans and how many fans are getting at their MLS games and just the the love and pride that they have there for for football has been amazing and you now see Arkansas my boy Thomas Roberts signing a contract I think that's going to really spark interest there and uh, I think Mr. Southeast in general will start going in the soccer world. You impressed Eric Quill at Texans SC when you were playing for your club in Alabama. What was what was that club? Was it just an ODP team, or? Uh, yeah, so he spotted me at an ODP and a regional event in um, it was in it was the IMG Academy in December of 2015, and he just continued to watch me play, and then eventually saw me again at regionals with my uh, Busa team in summer of 2016, and then got the call a few weeks later. Okay. What do you think he noticed about you? What did he notice? What did he tell you he noticed? Uh, of course, he noticed my athleticism. Not, uh, I've always uh, been one of the more faster, and I've been able to do things on the field that uh, I've been able to get away with my athleticism for a while before learning the technical aspect. Of uh, he liked my vision on and off the ball. I was always like, I knew where the ball was going, so I was anticipating really well. And when I was on the ball, I was always one and two steps ahead of the of the defense. Hmm. Yeah, you've been very clear that your goal is to play in Europe, but there are a lot of different pathways to that. A lot of us are in the dark about that whole process. So, I mean, I know there's some stuff you probably can't talk about here, but as much as you can, can you explain how the whole uh, Bayern loan happened? How did they find out about you in order to give you a trial back in March? I guess is the first question. 
Yeah, so um, Dallas, uh, a few weeks before, a few weeks after Dallas signed the partnership deal with Byron, and uh, and they were always they were always telling us to be ready for uh, to be ready for any for anything. Uh, anybody could be watching you at any time, so just always play like it's your last day. And then Dallas Cup came around, and I I had no idea that that Byron was coming to watch, and they really enjoyed how how I played, so they wanted to bring me out of training stint. And then the training stint came around. Uh, I performed pretty well, and they decided, hey, let's give this kid a shot. Let's see what he can do. And I'm here now. That was one big thing that Dallas talked about with me. That's uh, my plan. Well, they knew what I had dreamed about, which is, of course, not Europe, which I think is any kid's dream, or right, just playing at the highest level. Yeah. And this partnership with Byron made it, made it a real a realistic idea. So they were happy. They're happy for me getting this opportunity. They're also happy for the partnership that it's actually working. Was the loan uh, something that, like, Byron wanted initially, or Dallas wanted, or you, or you wanted it to work that way, or like who was the who was driving that sort of way of doing it? You know. Um, honestly, I'm not exactly sure on that one. Uh, I, of course, I was just I was happy to be training with the first team back in Dallas because it was a step up from the academy, and then they came to me one day with with a, a plan and. Uh, there was a Bayern loan in it, and I, I, I believe it was Bayern who pushed for it. Mm. I was as eager to send me because they wanted me to come back to Dallas with as much experience at the highest level that I can get. And the academy academy level back home wasn't that level that they wanted me to play at. Okay. Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like the kind of arrangement that would make sense for a lot of young Americans who are good, but maybe not like quite getting MLS minutes yet. And um, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see more of that. Oh yeah. Let's talk about the national team setup a little bit and I, and I won't try to monopolize your whole evening here. You were, no problem. you were one of a trio, I believe of U19s promoted to the U20s at the joint youth national team camp in January. I, I th- yes, sir. It, it was like you and Ledesma and Amaya, right? Yes. What, tell me about that camp. What happened there? And um, did you shut down Jonathan Amen? <laughs> I, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was my first camp. And uh, I mean, that's one thing I've always dreamed about, which is wearing the crest across my chest. And um, I knew it was, it was an opportunity and it might not come again. So I, was just, I went out there with a clear mind and full heart and I played to the best of my abilities and tab started noticing and gave me towards the, the end of the camp. He, I mean, he brought me over and asked me if I would be willing to stay a few days to get a few, uh, to get a scrimmage in with the twenties and get a few training sessions in. And I mean, of course not. I mean, of course I would love to, I mean, I'm missing school. Uh, I get to, I get to go up and match on team. And uh, I mean, this is something I've, that I've really uh, enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I'm li- I'm interested in literally any words you say about the U20 team because it's kind of like that's my that's where my heart is, and I've been conducting the Richie Ledesma hype train for months. Who who do you who do you like on that team? And like, tell me anything anything that comes to mind about it. I I think we have a fantastic team, uh, especially going into World Cup. I think we're going to make some major waves. I mean, honestly, I enjoy everybody on and off the field, but 
I think some guys that really stood up to me were, of course, Richie. I mean, everybody knows Richie now just from that, just from these past few months. I mean, he's blown up so much. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he's a class player. So I enjoy him a lot. Uh, Mark McKinney, like a big brother to me. Uh, of course, we play the same position, but he just wants to see both of us succeed um, at the highest level. And so he's been a big guy for me, uh, as long as Matt Real. They both have a lot of experience with the national team. And they're getting good first team minutes with Philly right now. Mm-hmm. Also, um, Paxton, Paxton Conicall has been, I'm, of course, everybody knows he's a world class player. He's a fantastic player. And he's uh, also at Dallas with me. He's been, he's been really good for me uh, with all the experience he has and just all the big games he's played in. He knows, I'm, he knows what he's doing clearly. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, those are the big guys for me that I really enjoy. Are you going to be able to play in World Cup qualifying in November? I mean, is Bayern going to let you go? Uh, I sure hope so. I'm, I'm not really exactly sure what their plan is. But if I'm given the call to other qualifiers, I am, I, I'm going to push for that as hard as I can because I'm, that's, a big, that's a big box that I want to be able to check off. I mean, I guess it's a win-win, right? If they don't let you go, then maybe you're in the first-team mix for, for some games here or there. And if they do let you go, then you get to win the CONCACAF championship. Exactly. <laughs> I know you've gotten this question before, um, but I'll ask it too. What do you make of the the World Cup qualifying failure for the U.S.? Tell, tell me how you've been processing that. Um, so, I mean, of course, it's devastating. I mean, every World Cup that I've grown up watching, I've seen the U.S. play in it, and it just makes it 10 times more exciting. And, kind of makes the dream feel like it's, it's that close to becoming a reality. And then seeing, seeing our boys didn't make it this World Cup, it was, I, it was hard to process, especially when it came to losing to a team like Trinidad. But, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's something that obviously needed to happen because I, and you see all these young guys who are over here in Europe, maybe that wouldn't have gotten the call before if we had made the World Cup. You see them making big waves now. Uh, I, even with that tie against France, I, I know it wasn't our best game, and I know it wasn't with so many people claim uh, are our starters for the national team. But I mean, it was just fantastic to see all these young guys getting getting good experience with our full national team uh, against world class opponents. Yeah, getting stuck in too. They worked hard that night. Exactly. How how involved have um, Tab Ramos and you know U.S. soccer in general been in your pro career? Are they like a sounding board for you or do they help, you know, talk to clubs or, I mean, how, how does that work? I think they're quiet advocates for me. I mean, you don't really hear much from them, uh, but I know they're always, they're pushing for their players to find, to get to the highest level. And I know that they're having, that they're having communication and contact with teams that all of us are at. And so I, even though I'm not, having direct uh, contact with them, I, I know that they're in my corner fighting for me. Okay. Okay, and uh, last question, just have to ask, like, I know you said the goal for this fall is to get on a Bundesliga match roster. I think you said that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, do you, uh, what's your sense of that, of how likely that is? I know this is an impossible question, but I got to ask it anyway. Like, is <laughs> it is it going to happen? Uh, I like to think that's going to happen. I mean, I'll shoot for the stars, so 
Uh, I, mean, I I really think that it's a big possibility of happening this year, and uh, I it would be a dream come true. Yeah, it'd be awesome. You could uh, you could shut down Christian Pulisic hopefully in dis- December. <laughs> I, I I haven't looked at the schedule. Oh, yeah. Anything anything you wish I had asked about, or anything you want to talk about that I didn't bring up? No, I think you covered everything. All right, man. Well. Best of luck to you, and congratulations on your meteoric rise the last two years. And we'll be excited to watch yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on here as well. All right, we previewed the Bundesliga season in some detail in our last episode, but that leaves out a lot of Europe-based Americans, including a handful even in the Bundesliga, which we'll get to. So we thought we'd work our way across the old continent from west to east and briefly discuss all the dudes preparing for first-team action and sort of all the guys who are really in the mix, with an emphasis on the guys who are in the mix for the friendlies coming up in September. Right. Right. We have, yeah, we have, we have at this point, I feel like almost hundreds of players. I mean, we have lots of players <laughs> in millions playing soccer somewhere. Uh, yeah. But not all of them are, are really relevant to the, to the, at least the next round of U.S. men's national team friendlies. Yeah. That's, that's the sort of uh, ostensible focus of this segment of the episode. Let's start in Lisbon, Portugal. Keaton Parks at Benfica. Very hard situation to read, for me at least. He's not played much with the first team in preseason and didn't look particularly sharp in the one appearance I saw. The smart money was recently on a loan for him to some other Portuguese club, most likely. But then he was added to the Benfica Champions League roster. Benfica, Benfica, Benfica. Bottom line, (laughs) I I think we're in wait-and-see mode with Parks. And that's going to be honestly the truth for a lot of the guys we're going to talk about. But what's your what's yeah, we, your read on him, Greg? Uh, I, I'm the same. I'm kind of in wait and see mode. But I don't. I think uh, from the evidence we have, it doesn't look like he's a a major part of Benfica's first team plans. Uh, so I mean, the, we won't have to wait long now. Once the, once the games matter, uh, if he's in the plans, we'll see him in the first three four games at least in some capacity. So. Uh, if we don't see him, I think they have uh, some champion, like a Champions League playoff coming up, and then their actual lead kicks off. And um, again, if he's not used, if he's not in the 18, and he's healthy, uh, that tells us most of what we need to know about his role at Benfica. Yeah, and it's and it. I don't know what it means. I mean, just because he can't break in at Benfica, does that mean we should tap the brakes on on the Keaton Parks hype train? Probably a little, yeah. Uh, um, you don't have to be good enough to start for Benfica or to be a key sub for Benfica to play for the national team at this point. Um, I, yeah, I guess I don't know. It, it'll, what we'll want is at that point we'll definitely want him to find a, uh, a, scenario, a situation where he can get onto the field uh, for a first team. So right. probably we'd want him to go out on loan, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I would have hoped for. But the Champions League roster selection indicates that 
at least it's a it's a clue that maybe he's not going out on loan. I mean, maybe they, maybe Benfica doesn't think they're going to get out of the playoff, and the Champions League thing will be <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they just they just threw any names on there that they wanted to. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, so I don't, I don't know if he'll play. It'll be if he's not playing, it'll put him in a tough spot for the U.S. national team friendlies coming up. Uh, you know, now that sort of the whole pool, I guess I'd say, is available, uh, it'd be, it might be hard for him to get a call up if he's uh, if he's invisible through the first months of the season. Yeah, I'd think his his chances of getting a call up in September are pretty low at this point. Let's move. Uh, let's move east from there. All right, so we'll stay in the Iberian Peninsula and we'll, we'll talk about who we have playing in Spain. Yes. A uh, couple, of, couple of guys in the second division. So Shaq Moore uh, on loan to, I'm going to say C.F. Royce. I don't know if I need to say <laughs> C.F. Rius. Uh, um, but yeah, so Shaq Moore is an interesting one because he did just recently have a, a national team call up um, and he did okay. So he didn't, I mean, he, he didn't look like somebody who uh, was out of his element with the national team. No. Or friendly. So definitely a guy that we'll keep monitoring. Yeah, and I'd, I'd go even a little further on him and say, you know, if he can iron out his game a little bit, you know, cut the cut out the mistakes that I think probably doomed his chances for a uh, lockdown first team spot with Levante – when he had that, those runouts late late in 2017 and early 2018, if he can just iron out a little bit of that, I I think he's he's going to be a solid professional right back and definitely an option. I don't I don't see him as that far behind Yedlin to be honest in terms of quality. But all right, well, hard to argue I'm, that I'm when a, he's at a second division side and Yedlin that's that's what I was. I'm a bigger fan of Yedlin than you to begin with and. Even if he, even if that distance is small, I feel like that's the hardest distance to make up. I mean, to get to become a lockdown starter for a first team in a top league, so uh, that's a long way to go to get to where Yedlin is uh, as far as like his career. Um, but yeah, but you might be right; they might be close in actual ability and uh, what they can offer. So for now, at least Jack Moore still battling for uh, the backup spot at right back. Yeah, yeah. For these next for these next friendlies. Yeah, I I I'd say he has a good solid chance of another call up. Also in Spain is Akil Akil Watts, who just recently signed for Mallorca. Not too much to say here. That's also a second tier club, um, newly promoted second year sec, second tier club. He's a new signing, um, one to watch. Been playing with the US U nineteens lately. Just keep an eye out for him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and and uh, you know, with the the situation we're in with the U.S. national team, there are going to be some of these sort of reaches, I think, that are in the picture. The same way they were in the last few friendlies. Uh, I just I just don't think that uh, anyone who is essentially playing for a first team who's under twenty five and an American uh, is going to be, I think, at least in the discussion. Yeah. I don't see Watts in a roster anytime soon, but but okay. that's good. But it's a good point. Uh, moving even further east, Italy. I just thought I'd bring it up because we have no players in Italy, and I think that's notable. It's it's long been a place that's been difficult for Americans to break into. I think we had Josh Josh 
Josh Perez was playing on loan for AS Livorno in the in City C, and um, I don't think he's going to be going back to Italy. It doesn't look like it anyway. But anyway, so dif- difficult place to conquer. We don't have anybody in Italy right now that I know. Okay, of. so we can just uh, there's nothing compelling going on in the Italian league this this <laughs> August, so we don't have to pay any attention to that. Forget about uh, Juventus. Forget about Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. All right, then we'll uh, then we'll move into the uh, the epicenter of global soccer at this point, which is France uh, <laughs> and their World Cup victory. Uh, big one. I mean, the big one at France that I think a lot of people are legitimately excited about. Uh, Tim Weah uh, having a great pre, as good of a preseason as he could have with PSG. Agreed. And I still count the Super Cup uh, goal that he scored over against Monaco. I still count that as preseason. I know there was it was described in a lot of uh, tweets as a, his first competitive goal. I think that is a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but in any event, it is a semi meaningful game, more meaningful than the games they were playing in the U.S. Uh, he he did play, started scored a goal, just missed a couple of deliveries in. So he was very close to actually scoring a hat trick. So he's he looks dangerous in these games that he's been playing for. He does. He does look dangerous. He he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang in like the way he plays as a nine. Just very very clever and relentless in his movement and trying just trying to get on the end of chances and hold it up here and there where he can. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, what, you you tweeted out that uh, he could be unspectacular as a fifth forward for PSG and still score twenty goals this season, and I think that's pretty much true, right? I mean, uh, that that Mon- I mean, I got to watch the Monaco game, and it was a blast. It was just it's so open. PSG are so open, um, and they have they have a ton of talent forward, but they also have a ton of games that aren't going to mean much. So there's going to be, I think, I'd expect a lot of rotation. Uh, I checked, and last year PSG scored in all competitions like 175 goals. Like, they averaged three goals a game. Uh, so if Tim Weah is in the rotation and gets on the field, uh, like, he'll have, he'll have like, a goal a game. I mean, they're, they're just going to have five 20-goal scorers on their roster by the end of the year. So... Uh, It'll be it'll be exciting every every weekend. It'll be like, oh man, Tim Wayak could score this weekend. Uh, sort of regardless of it, might not tell us a ton about whether he's like a Pulisic level player, um, or if he's just if he's just found an optimum situation to be playing attacker in. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I, twenty goals does seem like a stretch, but I mean, ten goals seems pretty realistic, actually. You know, when you think about it. Uh, assuming, of course, like you said, that he gets in the rotation, which it does seem like he's going to be in the rotation at this point. It's going to be a blast. Like this is going to be an exciting one to watch. Uh, if if he stays on their roster, if he doesn't get loaned out, um, this is he's probably the second, third most exciting player to track to follow for me this fall. Yeah, and and his emergence as a number nine rather than a winger under Thomas Tuchel is also pretty interesting, I think, for the national team. I mean, if if that's where he sort of ends up playing for PSG, and it does look like the role suits him pretty well. 
where does you how are we going to line up with uh world like you know four world-class strikers in our roster (laughs) (laughs) it's it's good to see that versatility used because i think that will i think that is is kind of analogous to what uh might need to happen with the u.s like we might need him at a nine if no one emerges there who can play it or if we're on a in a window where the one the one or two other guys who are uh capable at that position are injured or unavailable uh you could see the fact that he can play anywhere along the front three would be of tremendous value to the U.S. setup. Yeah, totally. And I, just to be clear to everybody, I was joking about us having four world-class strikers. I don't really believe that. <laughs> but yeah, you could see him as a you can see him as a winger like he was in the friendlies earlier this summer, or as a just a straight up number nine by himself in a four-three-three, or you know as the as the sort of line stretching striker in a two-striker setup with with uh along with Sargent or Altador or you know whoever whoever is Yeah, that would be that would be really interesting to see as well as to see how he pairs there cuz we haven't had great partnerships uh up top since since really since Charlie Davies Josie Altador for me. Yeah. Pre-car accident right. Charlie Davies. Yes. So Tim Wayout so so yeah so we're really exciting uh really exciting preseason still have to see if that means anything for the regular season minutes. And and you heard it from Greg. Super cups don't matter. No super cups. The community shield and the super cup. I'm afraid do not matter. Matt Miazga is the other uh, high profile American in France at Nantes. Is that how you say it? Nantes. That's how I'm saying it. Yeah. It's, I mean, you could you could add a little like more throatiness to it. It could be non non. <laughs> Mid table league Liga Liga one Liga un side. The way pronunciation is going to stretch our brains over the next few years is going to be something to behold. Um, anyway, a solid step up the ladder for Miazga. I assume he'll play. I can't imagine Chelsea send him to a club where he's not going to get a lot of first-team minutes. Yeah, and you also assume it would, doesn't make sense for a team to take him on loan and pay his, a portion of his salary if they're just going to bury him on the bench. Not that that hasn't happened in the past with players, but... Uh, yeah, I got to assume that the, the both teams want this to be successful. Both teams want him to be playing. Right. So as long as he doesn't sort of, uh, you know, fall all over it, uh, I'm I'm hope I'm expecting to see him in the lineup. Yeah. Lockdown for now. Lock te- lockdown starter on the U.S. national team as a center back. Let's move across the English Channel. A lot of players in England. Uh, let's focus on three and then briefly mention the rest of them. The three would be DeAndre Yedlin, Anthony Robinson, and Cameron Carter-Vickers. Yedlin's at Newcastle. I think, generally speaking, the word is he's still the first choice right back for them. Season kicks off next weekend, is that right? It's Premier, Premier yes, League? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're days away. So there's going to be a lot of excitement in the soccer world with Premier League kicking off. And um, hopefully Yedlin, you know, just puts in good shift after good shift and occasionally gets forward and and creates something from the wing. Yep, that's that's what I'm thinking too. Like uh, we kind of know what Yedlin is and I think Newcastle knows what Yedlin is. Uh, so yeah, so it's just a, a 
keep just keep grinding out good games for Newcastle. First choice right back for the national team at the moment. Robinson is a left back, and he went on loan to Wigan Athletic, newly promoted championship side. From Everton. From Everton. On loan from Everton. Yep. I, there was there there was some thought in the preseason that he was he was pushing towards a, f- a first team spot with Everton, but he couldn't quite get over that hill. And then they Everton signed an, a left back from Spain, I think, or maybe from France. Yeah, and so Everton uh, have Leighton Baines, who's like a, a essentially an Everton legend at this point at left back. But Baines is like thirty five, uh, so I think for me. It wasn't about is Robinson a good enough backup for Baines. He probably is, um, or I, or I, I think that he probably is. Um, but it's probably more about Everton thinking that they don't just need a backup for Baines. They need like the long term Baines replacement. And I just I, apparently they don't see Anthony Robinson as the long term solution uh, as a, for a Premier League team that wants to that probably wants to challenge for like Europa League. Yeah. And in a good year, cha- challenge for Champions League, I suppose. But it's been a while since they've had a year like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a kind of that's a kind of depressing way to put it. Like they just don't, you know, they don't see him as a first choice left back ever. D- their their new signing, Lucas Dinier, I think is what his last name is. You know, he could come and play for two years, and then they could sell him somewhere else. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully. Hopefully they they see Robinson as a continued work in progress, um, because I would say he's right now he's the first choice left back for the national team. That's that's where I'd have him too, based on his uh, performance in the friendlies and based on the fact that we have very few other contenders for the job. Uh, and I and I think it's fine for him to be, uh, you know, at Wigan playing every week. Um, for this for this year, and if he's doing well there, and or or even just doing capably, uh, I think he will remain the first choice for for the national team in these friendly windows. Yep, had a good performance over the weekend by all accounts. Uh, Wigan beat Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday. I know your favorite club in England, Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, it's the cellar door of team names. Sheffield Wednesday is the most enjoyable team to say out loud. <laughs> it is. No, no disagreement here. They won. Wigan won three two, and Robinson helped set up a goal. He was getting down the flank in vintage fashion, and dropping in sort of so so crosses. One of them, one of them was cleared and then picked up by a teammate outside the box, who then dribbled in and in towards the marker and slotted it home. A lot of people were calling it an assist, but it was not that. Still, no, that was possibly. not an assist in the same way the Super Cup is not a competitive match. <laughs> but yeah, Robinson's involved. Robinson's collecting. I mean, the fact that on two of uh, uh, Wigan's goals, uh, Robinson was in the highlight with the ball near the touchline out wide, I think that's a good sign. Yep. Yep. CCV. Still at Tottenham, I guess. Still no loan for him. I don't know. He, it's hard to see him getting regular first team minutes with the Spurs. He remains a bit mistake prone in the back, but we shall see. Yeah, that this is one where I'm almost more worried that he's still there. Like, I don't think that's it, I don't take it as like a great thing 
as far as that means he's they have big plans for him. I'm almost like, are they can they are they having trouble getting him a, uh, 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 on loan somewhere else or uh, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like a big jump for him to be in the rotation for a team with Champions League ambitions. Yeah, I agree. It's probably probably. I mean, I don't, who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're just worried about depth or something. But I think uh, a worried reading of it is probably not unreal, not unreasonable at this point. Yeah, I, just, I, I worry that uh, he's going to have a lot of did not play or did not dress attached to his name on the weekly summary of U.S. players abroad. I don't see him as a top four center back anyway for the U.S. I think he he could turn a corner, but right now he's um, he's a good option. He's a good option mm-hmm. when when he's available and others may not be. Another center back in the Premier League. This year is going to be Tim Ream, everybody's favorite overlooked American player. He was, you know, I'm just not, I guess we'll see how Ream does. He's 30 now, I believe. Is he Is he even in the mix anymore for the national team, do you think? I think he's going to be, uh, I mean, if, any, if it, the last few friendlies are any indication, uh, he's, a, he's a body that they can call in when... Um, when their preferred players are not available, or he's the guy who's going to come in to be the fourth uh, center back in a friendly roster. Okay. And, and I don't, again, I'm not trying to put down team Ream. I've, I've really enjoyed watching him play. What he's done at Fulham is fantastic uh, for Fulham and for him. Uh, but I don't think, no, I don't think that he's got a real uh, much of a part left to play for the U S national team. Yeah. What he, what he did with Fulham is, remarkable and worthy of a lot of praise but let's not forget he was brutally at fault for that killer opening goal from Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying at Red Bull Arena that was probably the most important goal to concede in the whole failed hex and it was pretty much entirely on him well it's also on, <laughs> also on Tim Howard too but yeah that's that was that's a lot to put on one man bells yeah him and Tim Howard both I mean, don't you? I mean, right. Marco Arena gets the ball in a relatively uh, benign spot, you know, thirty yards from goal, and just dribbles sideways, and Reem lets him do it. And yeah, no, it was, maybe I'm being it, mean. I, th- I think Tim Reem has shown that he he was he has limitations at the uh, at the international level. That's how I would say it. I think <laughs> I think saying that he's single handedly. Uh, cost us a trip to Russia. No, I didn't say set, that. Set the program back for decades. I think is a little bit harsh. That would be a little harsh if someone said it, but I didn't say it. I didn't say that. I just said he was he was largely responsible for the the biggest conceded goal in the hex. All right. Also at Fulham is Luca Della Torre. Uh, I expect another on the fringes season for the midfielder. He showed pretty well in some preseason games, but a lot of people have shown pretty well in preseason games and um, could be surprised, but I don't expect him to be getting regular minutes. Yeah, if you're on the fringes while you're in the championship, it stands to reason you'll be even more on the fringes when you get promoted. Speaking of the championship, Jeff Cameron at Stoke City. Looks like he's still very much in the picture for them. Now in the championship, having been relegated last year, he missed the season opener 
against Leeds. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa led Leeds United because his father had a stroke, which is terrible. Um, but I assume he'll be back with Stoke City, you know, in coming weeks. Yeah, he's a, he's a staple in their lineup. Is he is he gone? Is he gone from the U.S. national team? Yes, right. Like there's just there's just no way that he should be taking minutes from uh, from the six other. I mean, we at this point we have six to eight passable center backs who are under twenty five. They should be getting all of the minutes that we have available. Okay, let's not talk about him anymore. All right, Emerson Heinemann. Good luck this season. Yeah, good luck, Jeff. Always enjoyed watching you play. Emerson Heinemann at Bournemouth. I don't know, man. Looks like he's got a depth chart Rubik's Cube in front of him that he's not going to solve. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, he had limited influence on their season last year, I think, is putting it kindly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll just we'll just check to see if his name ever starts showing up yeah. uh, on, the, on the lineup card. Lyndon Gooch at Sunderland in League One now, third tier in England. Got a big goal over the weekend to win it in stoppage time, but it was a nice goal too. A he- yeah, a thumping header. It's, it's a nice goal. It's a it's a big. W- I mean, again, this is always sounds like harsh or like uh, condescending, but it's like it's a big goal for Sunderland fans because they're in the third division. But it's it's a goal in the third division for U.S. men's national team purposes. So. Uh, I think Gooch is very much sort of, again, in the in the vein of we will call you up when we have a game in Europe and we desperately need like a warm body to who can who can we can put on the field without sort of embarrassing us. But uh, it doesn't really seem like he's really uh, clawing his way up the U.S. men's national team depth chart. No, but wish him all the best. Yes. Wish everybody the best. <laughs> Should we uh, cross back over into the continent again? Okay, yeah, let's get into the lowlands. Uh, let's <laughs> let's go with Belgium. Because uh, we have a couple of guys playing in Belgium that I, I think uh, are worth following. Certainly certainly Kenny Seff um, at Anderlecht. He wasn't in the 18, and I was trying to find out from you what that is because I always assume you have sources placed at every – uh, tier in Europe. So what what do we have on Kenny Seff? I don't have anything. I don't have anything, man. I don't know why he wasn't in the eighteen. I All just right. assume. I just assume he was injured or something, or had some kind of knock because that seems to be somewhat frequent with him. But I don't know. All right. Well, he's one that I think a lot of U.S. fans, myself included, are very interested in watching um, because I think after his. His limited time at the U.S., a lot of people think that he could be the answer on uh, on one of our wings. Um, now, I think Tim Weah may have jumped uh, Kenny Seff and a lot of people's imaginations for, for their lineups for the U.S. national Emphasis team. Emphasis on the word imaginations. Yes, because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> you just start imagining what, what we could be like with, uh, with a PSG star in our lineup. Um, but uh, that doesn't change the fact that Kenny Seff could, was a very capable player for us uh, in that friendly. So, um, yeah, really wanting to see him back in the plans for Anderlecht and having a, having a go at it. Yeah. 
I mean, he's uh, when he's healthy, he's I feel like he's a guaranteed call up at this point. I'm not exactly sure where he fits on the field, or you know where he sits in the pecking order, but he's a good player. Ethan Horvath is at Bruges. He's somewhere below the number one goalkeeper at the moment. Had some struggles over the last year, including that howler against Portugal in the first friendly after the the first friendly after the Cuva disaster. He's had struggles at club for club and country, and but he's fighting the good fight. He's fighting the good he's fight. He's fighting the good fight, and he's still apparently uh, fairly high on the on the U.S. Young goalkeeper depth chart, right? So, like, he's in that discussion with uh, Hamid. I mean, Hamid's not the youngest one, but he's in the discussion with Hamid and Bono. Uh, Bono, tell me how to pronounce it again. I don't know how to pronounce it. Bono. <laughs> uh, but he seems to be in that discussion right now, apparently behind uh, Zach Steffen. So, um, very, yeah, very interesting to see because I know Hamid's struggling to get time as well. We'll get to, but uh, if he can break in because we need. We need a couple young goalkeepers uh, to take over from Brad Guzan at some point. Yeah. I mean, if I had to do the depth chart right now, and we'll get into this with Hamid a little bit, I would probably say it's Stefan, Guzan, Hamid, and then Hor- Horvath is, you know, maybe next in line. or I don't know. But that after, after Stefan, it is kind of a mix because – kind of a scramble because – Yes, Guzan's that's not, how I put it. Yeah, Guzan's getting it's a older. Scramble, and so and so Horvath really needs to he really needs to stake his claim for both club and to get in. I think to the mix for country. Okay, something to watch for. Keep checking transfer market. Did he play? Did the other team score? Okay, here we go. Let's move to the northeast, past all the uh, textile mills. And into the tulip fields of the Netherlands. <laughs> of the we, Netherlands. Are, we are full-blown travelogue <laughs> at this point. All right. In the Netherlands. I mean, the big one in uh, in the Eredivisie is Eric Palmer-Brown at Nock Breda. He came there from a club in Belgium, so he's taken a step up on loan from Man City. The, the big question is, is he going to get regular minutes? And... I saw something from his manager saying he's he appreciates EPB's calm. Maybe he's a little bit too easy going back there. So you know he's he's going to be in for a battle, I think, to earn his manager's trust and get a lot of minutes. I fully expect him to get a fair amount of minutes. I think he's I think his ceiling's a little higher than CCV's at center back. But yeah, you know nobody really knows. Yeah, same, except, same thing. Except maybe, just, except maybe you. Do you know? <laughs> no, I don't have any inside information uh, on what Breda's manager plans on doing with Eric Palmer Brown. Uh, but that'll, yeah, that'll definitely be one where we'll be following you closely for uh, threads on what he did over a weekend. Yeah, just got to find a way to watch uh, Air to VC games. Also in the Air to VC is Andrea Novakovic. This is the this is the test for the the big striker. He was a goal machine for Telstar in the Dutch second tier last year. Now he's got to prove it in the first tier. He got the start in 76 minutes in a friendly against Bayer Leverkusen a couple weeks ago. Fortuna Sittard has a 12,500 capacity stadium. 
I'm not. I promise I won't give a bunch more facts about Fortuna, Fortuna Sitar. <laughs> but I, I mentioned that just because that's more facts than anyone else had about Fortuna Sitard going into this podcast. That's right. It's it should be. What, why I bring it up is 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 it should be a nice place to focus on football for Novakovic. You know, just just uh, get out there and play and get better and see what happens. I don't have a ton of hopes tied to Novakovic panning out for the U.S. Just because, again, I really thought it was just sort of a reach of a call uh, for for those rounds of friendlies where we, again, just needed some bodies who play professional soccer as a forward. We just don't have a lot of those. So, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully does uh, bang in a bunch of goals, uh, even beyond the uh, Dutch goal exchange rate that we have to uh, adjust for. Um, but that's, yeah, that's that's a... Nice step up for him, and we'll we'll see what he can do at that level. Yep. One one more player. I've got some other players listed here in the Netherlands, but we're going to skip them. There's one more uh, we'll mention, which is Kyle Scott at Telstar in the Dutch, Dutch second tier. Novakovic's former club on loan. I think this kid is a sleeper, um, quality central midfielder. Looked pretty good in his one cup appearance for Chelsea last year, and I did a thread of of gifs on that he's on loan you know with him tapping the ball back and forth with Willian he's on loan in the Netherlands for playing time obviously and I expect him to be at least as dominant for Telstar as Novakovic was I'm I'm interested in this guy's career so following okay him. well we'll add him to the uh track this guy list for uh for weekend updates yep all right, so we're going to skip the, uh, the the young young kids, uh, and we'll go into then we'll move into the into the Ruhr uh, Ruhr Valley, and we'll yeah. get to the players playing in the Bundesliga who we didn't cover in last week's preview. Uh, starting with who I think uh, the guy most likely to have a future with the national team, John Brooks, uh, as long as he can stay healthy. Um, John Brooks is one of our center backs. Yep, no doubt. Key thing is to stay healthy. He's got to be a little bit more durable than he has been in the past because he's not getting any younger. I think he's 26 now, 25 or 26. Uh, and you think he's playing for Wolfsburg, right? You think he's going to play? You think he's their guy? Yeah, you know, we did that big Bundesliga preview last week, and I tried to get try to find a podcast, a Wolfsburg podcast, and I did, and tried to get somebody from it to come on the podcast, but I couldn't ever get a response. So I don't, you know, I don't have any insight insight. You gotta imagine when he's healthy, he's you know he's a pretty expensive player for them. When he's healthy, yeah. he's he's gonna be starting. So he essentially missed almost all of last season after making his big move uh, with injury, and it was a big move. It was it was like seventeen million, right? They paid for him. That sounds right. Yeah, high teens. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So when he's healthy, you have to assume that they that he's in their plans. So uh, expecting Brooks to be. Uh, in the starting lineup from from the from the gate. Let's just slam through a couple of these here. Timmy Chandler and Fabian Johnson both are going to probably play. I think Johnson is making a bit of a comeback at Gladbach. Um, Weather and Chandler, you know, Chandler's regularly featured for Frankfurt for a long time. Whether they play with the national team is kind of like who knows. Um, Johnson. You gotta imagine it's unlikely to get another call up at his age. Chandler's a little younger, but there, you know, there's the whole debate about his commitment and everything. 
I don't really yeah, have, I, have a take on it, but I, I don't either. I, I know there was a, a recent, the most recent bit was that he's open to it. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't said I'm done with the national, with the U S so he's open to it. I, 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 we've talked about it before. It'll be a discussion with the, uh, the next administration to see whether or not, I mean, again, there's a chance that we decide he, he just wouldn't be the guy anyway for three, four years from now. So, uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be a steady Bundesliga presence, and who knows if he's got a future with the national team. Yeah, it is weird how like the age of somebody really affects the way you uh, you look at them. Because I'm because I'm not that excited about Chandler anymore. But you know, if like one of these young kids we're talking about was getting regular starts for Eintracht Frankfurt, it would be like you know, I'd be over the moon. So yeah. I, I acknowledge the dissonance there. Uh. Let's move over to Denmark. Let's move north to Denmark, uh, where there are three kind of important players. Jonathan Amon at FC Nordsjælland. Kids just got to get healthy. He hasn't, still hasn't been on a roster this summer, and Nordsjælland is four games into their regular season, and they've advanced through two rounds of Europa League playoff qualification without him. I am on record being really high on Eamon. I think he can create and score goals and set up goals in a way that few in our team, few in our pool can do. But he just hasn't been healthy basically since December for any extended period. So, Well, regular listeners, I think, to, to the Scuffed podcast are probably uh, just amped up because of the of the faith you have in him. So I feel like we are all like really eager to see him play. So I'm very much hoping he gets himself healthy uh, and is able to put himself sort of in the U S men's national team shop window by being able to play a few more games for his club. Let's get, let's get some consecutive games played. Jonathan Amen. Yeah. I mean, if he can get on the field by the end of the month and stay healthy through the end of the first half of the season, which I think ends around Thanksgiving, in Denmark, I don't think there will. I th- I predict there will be no question about it. He's he'll be a national team call up by the end of that. But but you know it's got to happen. So that's the big if. It's just the health. It's not necessarily if he's healthy. You think his quality is going to tell for itself? I do. I mean, you know, I could be wrong about that, but that's my that's my view on it. No, that again, that's enough to get. I think me excited. I think it gets. A, I think quite a few people are excited based on your. Uh, <laughs> Based on your assessment of him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also in Denmark, another young attacker, Emmanuel Sabi, who played a little bit with the U-20s in the World Cup in 2017. He's a striker-slash-winger kind of player. He scored two goals in four appearances for Hobro IK up north toward the end of the Danish peninsula. That's pretty good, two goals in four appearances, and they've both been bangers. Really nice goals, left-footed strikes. So just wanted to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, and so that he's one where I hadn't even heard of the guy until uh, a few weeks ago when he made the because that's what he just moved to Hobro. Is that right? Oh, uh, I th- think he was there at the end of last season. Not one hundred percent sure. Okay. Well, in any event, I hadn't I hadn't been he hadn't been on my radar at all. I know I think he you guys might have mentioned him in your deep dive into the. Uh, youth pools um, but again like uh, any American who's under 25 who's playing first team as an attacker 
has to sort of be on the radar of the national team. That's how Novakovic, I think, got his call up last uh, last spring. And, you know, when we look through domestically, when we look at MLS, there are just so few Americans who get onto the field, so few young Americans who get onto the field yeah. in attacking roles. So even though Sabi might be sort of feel like an out-of-nowhere guy to say he's relevant for the national team or he might actually warrant a call-up, uh, like you, you just have to t- take all of these guys into consideration uh, because we're so thin at attacker and they're just – again, just there aren't any in, the, in MLS that you can really uh, say are close to that call-up. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's Areola, and then it's like after that you're you're almost going down to Carlton, and I don't mean going down. I just mean Carlton hasn't played a ton of minutes for Atlanta, so it's after Areola you're almost looking at USL guys. Right, Carlton's played less than a hundred minutes in the MLS in MLS this season. So the door is open for these guys playing these sort of obscure players in Europe. Uh, if they score, if they score goals, they're going to get noticed, and they're going to get. I think they're going to get some looks for the national team. Yeah, no doubt about it. Last guy in Denmark is Bill Hamid. He was sold to Michelin. His his time there, which is I think about eight months old at this point, has not been a success. He's not been on the field enough. And according to Stephen Goff at the Washington Post, DC United is looking at bringing him back home. So... I mean, that, maybe that's the thing for him. I don't know. DC yeah, could use him. Yeah, I was going to say, he makes DC better. It's better for him to be playing than not playing. Uh, uh, I don't. I honestly don't put a ton of stock into all the, you got to stay and fight for your, uh, fight for your, like it might just be that the guy ahead of him is better and no amount of fighting by Bill Hamid is going to get him over the, uh, the first choice. So, uh yeah, I, I don't. I don't see it as surrendering or giving up. It's like go where you. It, it's a big filter, professional soccer. So, uh, go where you fit, and let's let's get games in. Let's get minutes. Yep. So uh, right across the right, right across the water from Copenhagen, is, <laughs> in keeping with our <laughs> travelogue style here, right across the water from Copenhagen is Malmo, Sweden, and it's a. It's a beautiful bridge to drive across too. You can you drive directly into the sea. Is it is it really? Yeah, this, the bridge just disappears into a tunnel, and it's uh, it's unnerving. Oh, really? Is that the first, right? The first time you do it, yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, that's the bridge from Malmo into Copenhagen. It starts as a bridge in Malmo, turns into a tunnel when you get into Copenhagen. Wow, cool. Yeah, there you go, everyone. Maybe Roman, maybe Roman Gaul and. Uh, and Jonathan Amon are you know going back and forth, visiting each other. <laughs> Gall is five years older than Amon, so probably not. But uh, Gall got a start with Malmo like right after he was signed by them in a regular season match a weekend ago. Showed pretty well. There's a there's some clips out there of how he played, and he looked pretty decent as an attacker, kind of a number ten. Didn't come off the bench in a midweek Champions League match, but Champions League qualifying continues today. That's Tuesday uh, for Mama, Mama at home against a Hungarian club called Videoton. I think he's my sense of Gaul is he 
he uh, he's sort of auguring for a call up if he continues to perform. I don't. I'm not sure his ceiling is really that high. He doesn't look that physically gifted, like strong or fast. And um, he did have a lot of giveaways in that first match. Not beating up on him, just saying like you know, let's not just let's not consider him the the best attacker in the pool just yet. But he okay. is he is get he is making some waves. So. All right. Well, yeah, he, and he's gonna. I think he's gonna be kind of for me at least in my mind, mentality, uh, kind of in the same. Uh, tears, Sabi, and as far as just sort of coming out of nowhere, and uh, if he starts making waves, even for uh, a Swedish team, uh, even if it's at Malmo, you know, this isn't the Bundesliga, uh, I think he still has to be uh, definitely considered, especially again, we play friendlies in Europe where it's hard to get the MLS guys over. Uh, Gall could benefit from that and be somebody who, who we need as a filler and will have the chance to prove himself. Yeah, it's a good point. The, those November friendlies in particular are like right in the middle of yep. crunch time for them for MLS. All right, let's put a bow on this. We'll come back. Yep. And there's our continental travelogue. <laughs> right. Do the short corners. Okay, before we do the short corners, I just want to put in a plug for people to rate and review the podcast. I actually have Googled on it, and I don't really know if it's important that more people review your podcast, but I want more people to review our podcast. So if you have time and you're a regular listener, write a review, please. Short Corners, Gianluca Busio's first MLS start, I think was probably the the headline of the weekend in our little tiny slice of the internet. Did you get a chance to see any of it, Greg? Uh, I saw his highlights. So, I mean, I'm sure, again, people who are listening probably know, but fill people in on who Gianluca Busio is. Oh, yeah. Good good, good point. Six... <laughs> I mean, for a lot of people, that name might mean nothing. <laughs> That's true. Very good point. So, uh, 16-year-old making his first start, like I said, for Sporting Kansas City. He is a U.S. U-17 international, sort of the same class as players like Giovanni Reyna, George Bello, other names that some of you might not know. <laughs> he plays central midfield, and he's gotten some spot minutes for Kansas City, particularly in the Open Cup, I think, and in, and in USL. But here he is getting his first start, and Kansas City beat Houston 1-0. to And uh, Buzio had uh, a clever little uh, assist on the match-winning goal. If you haven't seen it, you should seek out that highlight. Uh, it's really, it's a really cool thing. Um, and it's, again, it's something where I keep, I'm going to keep going back to if, if the DAs, if the, uh, evolution of the DA is doing the job it's supposed to, then we should expect to see more things like this. Uh, it doesn't mean Gianluca Busio is going to be a world beater, but, 
uh, we have seen a world beater and like an Alfonso Davies mm-hmm. uh, at age 17. He's sort of just turning the rest of the league into a playground. So if you can create one Alfonso Davies uh, who can do that at 17, you should have a few, at least a few other guys who are capable of stepping in and at least being solid MLS players at age 16, age 17. Um, and so Buzio might be one of the first ones of those. Uh, George Bello was, I know Atlanta's having like an injury crisis, but George Bello right. made the 18 for Atlanta United at age 16. So they consider him, you know, their next best option after after the uh, rash of uh, bad luck they've had. So, yeah. um, again, it shouldn't be something necessarily that's, that's super surprising to start seeing some 16, 17-year-olds just be thought of as solid contributors. Right. And that's, I think, what uh, Busio is right now, a solid contributor. I thought... The assist was a clever pass, and he also hit the post with a really nice shot from about 22 yards in the first half. But other than that, I was not as impressed as I think most people were by Busio. And I don't know if most people watched the game, but I did. And he was okay. He was okay. He was he's 16 years old, so you know. Right. That's awesome. that's the impressive part. Uh, he doesn't have to light the world afire in game one or game two or game three. Um, he's 16 and. And has the confidence of Peter Vermees, so that's a good thing. And again, if, if we get four or five of those guys, uh, maybe a couple of them will continue on in an upward trajectory and uh, become an Alfonso Davies or become a tier below Alfonso Davies. Yeah, uh, we should mention we should mention that Vermees. Speaking of Vermees, he said that Busio put on a man of the match performance, and um, I think. He Vermes might have been just throwing shade at the entire soccer game, you know, because <laughs> it was a really bad game, and nobody nobody really looked great. So I guess it's probably fair. He probably was man of the match. But yeah, exciting exciting development in the in the U.S. under seventeen, under twenty, absolutely uh, side of things. Reggie Cannon. Uh, I'm mentioning him not because his team won, but just because he's been looking good lately at right back for FC Dallas. He created a goal in a 3-1 loss for them on Saturday night as well, I think. It was a, a really nice play. If you haven't seen the highlight, look it up. He stole the ball in the attacking third, stepped you know, stepped quickly and athletically stole the ball, dribbled a guy pretty deftly into the box, and then played a nice little outside-of-the-boot pass to spring somebody in behind who then crossed it for a goal. He looks good. I think he's, I I look forward to doing our roster uh, episodes in the next month or so for the, for the next friendlies and putting Reggie Cannon on my roster. Yeah. uh, Reggie Cannon's highlight of the week, aside from that assist might've been the Chris Richards tweet about him. Oh yeah. Right. That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if Chris Richards is actually doing a better job of scouting the pool than uh, whoever the U.S. Soccer League Federation is not hiring to do the job. I'm starting to learn. Don't sleep on these young kids' scouting abilities. I think they kind of know what's up. (laughs) They're paying attention. Speaking of Richards, so we had him on the show, and I hope you got to listen to it. Um, It's earlier in the episode, obviously. But you know, one thing I didn't talk about with him was the structure of his loan, and 
I think it's pretty interesting that he is at Bayern reportedly, according to Brian Sharetta, on a loan with a buy option for Bayern. And generally speaking, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but generally speaking, what that means is there's an agreed upon fee between the two clubs, FC Dallas and Bayern Munich. That, so like the fee is set, and Bayern can exercise the option to buy Richards at the end of the loan, which is in December, or not. Doesn't matter how well or how poorly he plays, the fee stays the same. Or they can just let him come back to Dallas in December. That seems like a good idea for a young American who's not going to get MLS minutes this year, but is, you know, maybe too good to play in USL. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is no good USL option, so they go with this. I don't know. I've, I've talked to a couple people that might know, and I can't figure out if this is a good idea or if it's something that'll take off. I wonder what you think. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a good situation for the player to be in, uh, and I think and I, I if if I heard you right and and understanding it right, I think. My understanding of it is sort of just one little tweak, and that's it doesn't matter how well Chris Richards plays. Bayern essentially have the option to buy him for that set price. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if he if he suddenly becomes uh, you know their starting center back, they'll still get him for the amount they agreed on when he was an unknown kid from the academy from Messi Dallas Academy, um, as opposed to if he is if he's just sort of average, but they still want to buy him, they could probably negotiate a lower price to offer. SC Dallas and it's it's almost like a it's, okay. yeah it's like a you know they wouldn't Bayern wouldn't be obligated to buy him for that amount if they decide to buy him that's just they have the uh, the option to okay yeah that's an important distinction the 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 power is all in the hands of the club to whom the player is being loaned essentially yes yeah if they decide they want to do it uh, that's the price they pay or if they decide they want to pay that price Richards is is theirs. Uh, if they decide they want to offer a lower amount, they're free to do that, and then FC Dallas has a decision to make. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a good position for Richards because it means that essentially FC Dallas can't sort of play hardball and uh, torpedo uh, an amazing opportunity for for Chris Richards. Right. Yeah. Depending on what the I mean. I'm assuming it's not set at 185 million. <laughs> right. It's not the it's not an Mbappe clause. If Dallas rated Chris Richards, you know, really, 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 really highly, like, oh, he could be a first team Bundesliga center back in the next couple of years, then they wouldn't have structured this deal this way. Uh, I mean, not necessarily because it could. I mean, they could have uh, the option to buy clause could be at the price of a really solid Bundesliga center back. I don't know, you know, we don't know what that amount is. So if it's, if it's 12 million, I mean, if it's set at 12 million, uh, it seems unlikely, but if it, you know, it's some, some, something like that, high, you know, that's, that's like John Brooks territory or yeah. you're hitting Alfonso Davies territory. So, uh, you know, it, it just depends what that number set at, but again, it just means FC Dallas can't actually torpedo it. If Byron really want him, yeah, I wish I knew what that number was. I don't have the heart to push an eighteen-year-old <laughs> to tell me something like that. I'm just not ruthless what are, enough. What do they value? What do they value your future at? 
Yeah, tell me this very sensitive information. Um, okay. So that's something cool. It comes to mind. I mean, I'm a, I'm a novice, but it comes to mind when I think about Carlton. Like, what if they what if they did a deal like that for him? Like now? Yeah, how mind. about how about now? How about today? <laughs> it makes it well because you know you think about a bunch of there have been plenty of uh, rumored MLS players moving to Europe that sort of got uh, scuppered by a stubborn uh, MLS. Usually, it's the entity that's doing it, but now it might be the actual. Uh, team itself, uh, right. you know, Columbus just denied Zach Steffen's move over over to the UK, so it can happen. Yeah. Okay. Last thing we're going to talk about before we close up shop is the youth national team's hiring freeze, according to Tab Ramos. He says there's no, they're not. He's not allowed to hire coaches right now, so they're they've got two, three vacancies. I guess it'll be three with Hackworth uh, moving on to Louisville City. And and this is in like World Cup the year the on the eve of the World Cup for these age groups, right? Yeah, it's a real head head scratcher. Like the 2017 cycle is, you know, it's a few months behind the U20 cycle, but not more than six. So like the World Cup is you know a little over a year away. Uh, CONCACAF qualifying is going to be in early spring. They need a coach, don't you think? Either they need a coach or they're conceding that uh, these tournament, these events aren't really important. Uh, one of those two. Um, I, I or maybe, like they're, maybe really... they're conceding that the coach doesn't matter for these. There teams. you go. There you go. The coach doesn't actually really develop them. Uh, you could just name players and send them out there and have them roll the ball out. Uh, the really sort of interesting and borderline offensive part of this is that the freeze applies to the women's side of the game as well because the the, the, fail, the men failed so badly that, that like the it was impossible to add to the women's staff somehow. Is it like about? Is it because of the financial hit the Fed took from the not qualifying for the World Cup? I just assume it mean it's it's like a the politics of like like uh, Sunil's became you know poisonous and he's out uh, and it just became like who would who would be able to name the next staff because there'd be no one to approve it because they're in this limbo right and that, you know I mean like so there's no one who who has enough uh, power within the federation to uh, pull rank and do it I don't know. It really calls to, to question the uh, <laughs> the organizational structure, the the org chart of U.S. soccer. Yeah, it also kind of strikes me that Tab, you know, Tab Ramos is clearly sending a message by telling this to Mike Watala at Soccer America. Shout another shout out to Watala. The dude breaks all kinds of news. Ramos is like. He's taken his he's taken his grievance public, right? Right, right. Yeah. Like the feds tied my hands. Yeah. And it strikes me that he's just he's a pretty powerful guy in the Fed cuz I can't imagine anybody else taking that high profile of a stance on something. It's, he didn't even really take a stance. He just said it was happening, you know. But Right. 
it still seems like he's putting his head above the of above the foxhole or whatever. Yeah, and you got to assume that it's, it's calculated in the sense that uh, he's he's gambling that this won't backfire on him, that he won't be uh, taken a task or uh, penalized either by again Ernie Stewart just started three day, three four days ago um, that he's in a position where he's not going to be. Yeah, I mean, essentially uh, slapped on the wrist for uh, for t- put, you know putting the laundry out there. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing he'll he won't won't cause him much trouble. But I'll have to give the disclaimer that I really have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, you got anything, Greg? No, that's that's it for me. European right. leagues kicking off in earnest this week. All right, that's it. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see ya.